Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Who doesn't like the old familiar hymn with the catchy tune, We Three Kings of Orient Are? It conjures up images of bejeweled noblemen riding on stately, ornamented camels, each with a gift in their hands. Well, the real story from the Bible is a lot different from that. Yes, there were wise men, or magi that actually made that arduous journey and searched for a king, a messiah. But their quest was for something far deeper than to see the latest heir to the throne, they had hearts longing to personally meet the Savior promised by God himself. It was worth it for them to leave their homes and head off on a long, hard journey until they found him, and find him they did. What a joyous day it was for these men. Those that stayed behind, however, in unbelief, missed the greatest discovery of their lives. And how many, how many are doing the same today? In our message today, evangelist Mr. Marvin Dirksen examines the biblical facts behind this amazing quest. What do we really know about these men and what they found? Let's look at the Bible's account more closely. Let's read together then in the Gospel of Matthew, this time chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, when we come to the actual account of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, we, we have to recognize that over the course of years, there has been an awful lot added to the story that is not found in the text. You've likely seen pictures, you've likely seen drawings or read books, or maybe even seen Christmas cards. You will see three men, most of the time dressed very extravagantly, sometimes with turbans or even crowns on their head, and they're all riding camels. 
You will be able to read books and they will actually suggest the names of these three men. But that is not in the account. We don't know how many there were that came. Perhaps there were more. We don't know how they traveled. And as far as their dress is concerned, well, I have actually ridden on a camel. And I can tell you that I wouldn't have a crown on my head for very long going over the, the roads and through the wilderness on those very, very clumsy animals. We're not told an awful lot of the details, but you see, what we are told, what we are told has some very, very great importance. And so tonight, as we look at the, the wise men and their great desire to worship the king of the Jews, I'd like to focus on three concrete facts of the account Because when I read Matthew chapter 2, I look at it as a a chapter of response. A response to the message that was given and a message to the Christ who had come. It's not just ancient history. Yes, it did happen 2,000 years ago. But this account concerns each one of us because every single one of us is going to respond personally to the Lord Christ. So let me give you the three focuses tonight. First of all, we have read about the star and the response of those wise men to God's voice, to God's witness. The star and a response to God's witness. Secondly, we have come to the city of Jerusalem. And those men came with a question, a question. And there was a response on the part of the city to God's word. A question and a response to God's word. And finally, we come into the house and there is the child And those men responded to God's son. You know, Matthew chapter 2 finds this its geographical source many, many miles and kilometers east of Jerusalem. We're not told exactly where these wise men came from. Could have been Babylon. Could have been a neighboring country. Whatever the case, we understand that these men were inquirers of truth. A record says that they actually call them wise men, the, the magi. These were individuals who were sincerely seeking for answers to the big questions of life. And you know, in some unstated way, we're not sure how, these men had come to understand and to realize that the God of Israel would ultimately send a king, would send a ruler, a shepherd, to his, to his nation. And so they were seeking to understand this message as to the when and the where and the how this great promise was about to be fulfilled. It's interesting, as you look at the backdrop, to understand that Babylon, for instance, had actually defeated Israel centuries before, and in the process of victory, they had actually taken captive a large part of the population. Included in the captivity were some very, very young, able, brilliant men, and I'm speaking of Daniel and his three friends, and they were taken away off to Babylon. But, you know, with those God-fearing men went the word of God. With those men went the knowledge of the God of heaven, the true God of heaven. And without a doubt, those men would share the knowledge of God with those around them. And so Babylon, for instance, was not without knowledge of God. But it's interesting that even before Daniel, many, many years before Daniel, there was another man. The man's name was Balaam. You'll find his story in Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 17. And that man made an amazing statement. He said, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. A star and a scepter. And so I have wondered, could it be that these wise men had heard these snippets of truth 
And in their search and inquiry, they were seeking to join the dots to understand what God was about to do. You know, whatever the case, we understand that a star appeared. And the star was evidence that God was willing to speak to them. He was willing to direct them to the answers that they were looking for. You know, it was only a star. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big, fully developed revelation. But they were aware they had enough spiritual light to understand that it was his star, that God was speaking to them. And so they prepared to go to worship. There was a personal response from the witness of God. You know what thrills me tonight is that the God of the Bible is the God that continues to speak to planet Earth. He is the communicating God. He hasn't cloistered himself up. Now, he has a personal interest in each one of us. And so the Bible says that the God who spoke at different times in a variety of ways has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son. You know, God speaks and continues to speak because his desire for every single individual, bar none, is that all might be saved and to come to the knowledge, the full knowledge of the truth. You can read that statement in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. So let me ask you, has God ever spoken to you personally? No, I'm not suggesting that he's going to speak audibly like I'm speaking to you tonight. But has God ever come into your life, come into your thoughts? Have you ever asked yourself, is there more to my life than what I'm experiencing? Is it possible to know my sins forgiven? Could I actually have peace with God? Has God ever rattled your bars to make you aware that he's speaking to you? You know, C.S. Lewis, the, the Oxford academic, wrote one time, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pain. You know, there are, there are many ways that God continues to speak to planet Earth and to each one of us tonight. I've spoken to a variety of people, a fair number of people, and they have actually told me that it was the, the beauty and the grandeur of the, of the starry heavens that led to a God consciousness. In their own words, they said, somebody, somebody has made all of that. And you know, that's exactly true because creation is God's universal missionary. It's a witness without words. It's universally understood that God is the great creator by what he has made because, you see, the heavens declare the glory of God. But God, yes, does speak through conscience. It's that inner alarm system that goes off when we've sinned when we've told a lie, when we've done something wrong, when our responses and attitude is not right, when there's guilt, and sometimes we try and find the off button. But conscience is one of the ways that God makes us aware that there is something wrong at the very core of our being. But you know, God speaks through, through kindness, through goodness. And the Bible says the goodness of God is designed to lead us to repentance. We are linked with a, a good God, a God of blessing. And God has surrounded a lot of our lives with a multitude of blessings. I wonder, have you ever thanked him for his goodness to you? You know, sometimes God allows a Christian to come across our pathway. And as we look at that believer, that one who knows Christ, we understand they have something that we don't have. They're enjoying a peace that is missing from our life. They love to speak of Christ, but he's a stranger to us. And many times, if we're honest, what we see in a Christian is so attractive to us. Inwardly, we might say, I wish I had what they had. I wish I knew what, what they knew. You know, God speaks through Christians, but he speaks through his word. He has given us this wonderful volume, the Bible. It's God's email to us. 
And in this wonderful volume, he tells us, yes, about our problem of sin. He tells us what sin is going to do to us, the condemnation and the hopeless eternity that we face. But in this volume, we understand that God has revealed a remedy, a solution, a salvation, a savior. And that's why tonight this book is one of the ways that God speaks to us. I wonder, have you ever read the word of God? Have you taken time to listen to his word today? If God sent you an email, would you open it up or would you just press delete? I'm afraid an awful lot of people have never really read what God has said in his book. But you know, I'm amazed by the way God speaks to people in a variety of situations. A number of years ago, there was a dear friend of ours who lives, still lives on the east coast of Canada, and uh, she had actually bought two tickets for the New Year's Ball for herself and for her husband. And when December 31st came, they made their way down to the area where the party was being held, and uh, they joined in the festivities. The music was playing, people were dancing, the drinks were flowing. It was a great time to see the old year out and the new year in. But in the middle of that party, of that New Year's ball, my friend, our friend, just took a break. And she went off to the sidelines of, of that large banquet hall. And as she looked at the swirling mass of partiers with the music playing and the drinks flowing, people just having a great time, the thought came to her just out of the blue, crashed in on her. And she thought to herself, we are all going to hell. An amazing moment. We are all going to hell. Now, she was not watching a video presentation on the majesty of Christmas. She wasn't reading a Bible. She wasn't sitting in a church service. She wasn't speaking to a, to a Christian who was trying to tell her about her need of salvation. No, it was God's lightning bolt to her making her aware of, of her desperate need. And wonderfully, it made her aware that there was a Savior that she desperately needed. And it was the beginning of a quest, a quest to find salvation. And I'm thrilled to tell you that there was a moment when she found Christ as her personal Savior. You know, that's the reality of the star for those men. God had spoken to them personally, and they needed to respond. And on the basis of one star... They started the trek of hundreds of kilometers just to find the king of Israel. Just pause here. Let me ask, have you ever responded to the probings of heaven? Have you ever understood that God is speaking to you? Because there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Because you see, wise men, wise women, wise young people still seek him. But you know, the account brings us into Jerusalem. These men have made the, the long trek, hundreds of kilometers, likely weeks on the road. And they come into the city of Jerusalem with a question. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And the Bible makes it very clear that there was a response on the part of the king and a part of the population on the part of the priests and the scribes and the teachers. You see, when Herod the king heard that message, he was troubled. The idea is that he was very agitated, because you see, the news of another king meant that there was going to be a rival to his power. And even though he camouflaged it with very deceptive language, he said, I would like to go worship him too, so please come and tell me. 
beneath the surface of that facade, secretly, he vowed immediately to extinguish and to wipe out any threat to his position. You see, King Herod had surrounded himself with affluence. The city was enjoying great prosperity, great riches. But the man himself was marked by absolute cruelty, by wickedness, and by heartless murder. And you only have to read the end of that chapter to understand the awful deeds that he committed. And you know, as I look at Herod with his resistance response, I made aware that there are still people in this world who refuse to acknowledge God, who resist truth, and who mock and despise God's offer of grace and of peace. They're determined that nothing is going to alter their lifestyle. They're determined that their power is going to remain unchallenged. And you know, behind Herod, there is the ultimate arch enemy of God, the devil himself, who is determined to thwart any purpose of grace and to extinguish the Christ of God. But Matthew also records the response of the populace. And it's really amazing that when they got the news, they were troubled as well. But you know, there was, there was a tremendous lack of awareness on their part. And there was even a greater lack of interest to find what this was all about because the message of the birth of a king really had no interest in them. They were doing well. They were enjoying life. Who needs a king? Who's looking for anything else? And so there was a lack of awareness, even though the great event had taken place just next door, just a few kilometers away. But there was no interest. There was no awareness. And there was no response. Doesn't that mark our world, our age? Maybe it marks your life. There's not too many people that are seeking for God. There's not too many people that are seeking for salvation. There's not too many people that even acknowledge they need a Savior. But oh, thank God for the few that are trusting Christ in view of their need. But you know, it's the priests and the scribes, the teachers, that are most appalling in their response. Because I don't know if you noticed it, but when Herod called them together because he needed some answers, he said, where is Christ to be born? Give us the answer. And these individuals, these priests, these scribes, these teachers, they knew the answer. They had the word of God. And without any hesitation, they said, where's he going to be born? Well, it's going to be in Bethlehem of Judea. They didn't kind of shrug their shoulders wondering what the answer was. They not only had the answer, but they could turn to the prophecy. And they went right back to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they said, thus it is written, and you, O Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. They had the word of God. They knew the answer. But tragically and sadly, it was only academic. It meant nothing to them. And you know, we're living in a world in which people have some knowledge of the Bible. Some of you can quote verses. Some of you can make your way through the Bible and find out exactly where all these books are. In fact, there's individuals that stand behind sacred desks and they know the Bible. They can quote verses. But the Christ of the cross and the Christ of the manger means nothing to them. That's sad, isn't it? That's tragic. Because you see, these men that were bringing the news of a king being born, they had traveled hundreds of kilometers. They had spent weeks on the road. And yet these teachers, these priests, these scribes were only living 10 kilometers away from Bethlehem. Just Bethlehem was south of Jerusalem, just six miles. It was right alongside. And yet they couldn't be bothered to go find out what this was all about. How tragic, how tragic to see people who 
know the truth, but who will not receive Christ. You know, the wise men made some very quick discoveries in in Jerusalem. They discovered, first of all, they were in the wrong place. Now, they had deduced natural reasoning. They had deduced, they had reasoned that the king of the Jews, why he was going to be born in the capital city. And so we will go to Jerusalem. Now, the star did not lead them there. They went there because they presumed that that was the place, but they realized we're in the wrong place. And they quickly discovered that the city had no interest in their message. They had no interest in finding out about this new king. And they made the discovery that it was only when they had the word of God, when they listened to what God said, that they would know the right way to go. You know, that's exactly where we are today. We need the word of God to know what the right way is, how to find salvation, who Christ is, and what he has done for us. So as they left Jerusalem and headed south to Bethlehem, the Bible says they saw the star and they rejoiced. And the star came to hover over that house, leading them to exact place. And the Bible says they came into the house. And when they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. That's significant. That's noteworthy. I hope you understand it doesn't say they worshipped them. And it certainly doesn't say that they worshipped her. But no, these wise men, directed by the Spirit of God, they came into the house and they worshipped him, him, Christ. You know, I'm not sure what they expected when they came. They'd come to worship the king of the Jews. So were they surprised when they saw a young child? We're not told. But they knew that God had guided them. That was unmistakable. He had brought them to the place where the king of the Jews really was. And without any hesitation, they bowed the knee and they worshipped him. That is the greatest issue of each one of our lives. You see, salvation, forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, is not found in religion. It's not found in church membership. It's not found in living a good lifestyle. It's not found by saying the Lord's Prayer or taking the Eucharist or the Mass or the Lord's Supper or the Communion. No, eternal life comes by personal response to the Lord Jesus Christ alone so that what you do with him will determine your eternal destiny. You see, to receive Christ is to be with him in heaven for all eternity. What a tremendous prospect. What a great blessing. To reject him is to be without Christ in hell forever in the darkness and the awful condemnation of sins. And that's why, my dear friend, the greatest issue of your life concerns this man, this Savior, this King, this Lord. You know, it must have been a very moving scene for Mary as she watched grown men on their knees before the young child. And they would present appropriate gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, a very wonderful tribute to the fact that he is he is deity. He is the king. He's the sovereign one. The frankincense would remind us of a, of a fragrant life that was about to be lived in perfect communion with his God, a life that was marked by righteousness and love and perfection, no sin, no blemish, a life that brought infinite delight to the God of heaven. Ah, but there was the myrrh. And myrrh, of course, was used in the death process to embalm bodies that had died. And, you know, even even at his birth, there was the long, dark shadow that brought him over to Calvary to the cross. Because, you see, that when the Savior came, he'd come to give his life as the ransom for our sins. So let me ask you tonight, what will your response be? These men bowed before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They acknowledged that he is worthy of their worship. And God's desire 
for every single one of us is that we might come to know his son as Savior and that we might be a worshiper of Christ forever. If you have never received Christ, I trust that tonight you might receive him. You might acknowledge your need of him and by faith come into the greatest blessing, the forgiveness of your sins, an eternal relationship with him, and heaven is your eternal home. Well, are you a worshiper of Christ? Have you ever fallen down before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? These wise men did, and today they still worship and adore the Savior in heaven, even as we speak. So what about you? Why not give him his rightful place in your heart this Christmas? The Bible says, You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. That was true of these wise men. Will it be true of you? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls, each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.